Our passage from Hebrews today is based on the metaphor of running and endurance sports. And when I think about running with themes in the faith, my mind naturally gravitates towards the chariots of fire. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the movie, the film follows the life of Eric Liddell, a man wrestling with both a call to be a missionary and his athletic ability as an Olympic runner. In one of the most climactic scenes in the movie, when wrestling with whether to go back to China or compete in the Olympics, he says, God made me for China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I can feel his pleasure. Now, I have to be honest with you. When I started running, I wasn't fast, and I certainly didn't feel the Lord's pleasure when I ran. Bailey has always loved running. Early in our relationship, she often tried to get me to go with her, but I often resisted. The few times I did say yes, I'd spend the whole time thinking and verbalizing how much I hated running. Can any of you relate to this? Who are these crazy people who think this is fun? When I run, my legs hurt, I can't breathe, and I feel anything but the joy of the Lord. As you can imagine, Bailey eventually relented and stopped asking me to run with her. But about three years ago, in the middle of COVID, she had a gentle suggestion for me that I pick up running again. She thought it would be something that would be good for me. Now, I'll be honest, this wasn't feedback I really wanted to hear. If I'm honest with myself, part of the reason I dislike running is that I'm bad at it. But I know Bailey loves me, and I typically, when she makes a suggestion like this, I'll do my best to listen. And I wanted to force myself to have to take it a little more seriously this time. So we signed up for a race six months later and got to work. And as I started running again, it was anything but bliss. My workout is typically one of my favorite hours of the day, but running felt like getting my teeth drilled at the dentist. The first eight to 10 weeks were lousy and I didn't feel like I was getting anything out of it. A few times when I was down, I would open up this running social media app called Strava and I'd see these superhuman gazelles like Nathan Curry putting up these crazy runs before 7 a.m. Who runs 10 miles before 7 a.m.? I won't tell you the pace because it'll make you feel even worse about how slowly you run. I'm thinking, what, what am I doing? I'm never going to be like Nathan. But my wise wife said, stop looking at other people and just focus on your goal of getting a little better. And as time progressed, the miles started coming easier and I found a growing sense of accomplishment as I was able to finish longer and longer runs. When we finished our initial race, I actually found myself wanting to take on a harder challenge. And three years later, I can legitimately say running has been a force for good in my life. I enjoy running. It's a fantastic way to clear my head and helps me solve problems. I find I go into runs stressed out and come out of them with a strong sense of calm. And it's actually become a place where I can clear out the noise in my head and listen to the Lord. Now, I think my own journey with running is a really good illustration of the message the author of Hebrews is trying to communicate in our passage on discipline this morning. And I'd love to spend some time this morning showing you what I mean. So here's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to share a little context on the book of Hebrews to help you understand the passage better. We're going to talk about the particular passage in Hebrews we read this morning in our liturgy. And then I want to share how I think this passage might come to us today. And then we'll finish talking about how this might apply to what we're trying to do with Lent and taking on a fast. And if you take anything away from our time this morning, I'd love for it to be this. A few weeks ago, Tim preached on Mark, Mark 1, and he said that God intends to use his authority for us, not on or against us. 
And I believe this passage in Hebrews is communicating the same thing about the discipline of the Lord, that God ultimately wants to use discipline for our good because he loves us and not against us. So let's dig in. The author of Hebrews is unknown. It's really a mystery. A lot of people think it was written by Paul, but the writing is just so different from all of the other epistles we have that we know are written by him that this doesn't fit. Others think it could be Priscilla or Aquila, which I kind of like because it means we could have a book of the Bible that was written by a woman. But the reality is we just don't know. But what we do know is that the book was written to Jewish Christians, likely in Jerusalem with a date before 70 AD. The bulk of the book is talking about the superiority of Christ over angels, Moses, the priesthood, and the sacrificial system. In essence, the author is making a theological argument to the Jews to prove the validity of Jesus as the Messiah and the supremacy of our faith. He's doing this because I think he knew these Jewish believers were starting to look back at their old faith and cultural foundation and thinking it looked really good compared to the faith they had just converted to. When faced with the reality of what their new life would look like, they were growing weary and doubting their commitment to Jesus. And so, frankly, I can see how these early believers might have doubted their faith. Imagine being a first-century Jewish convert to the faith. Maybe you heard one of the early apostles after the resurrection. You heard about Pentecost. You saw miracles performed by one of the early Christians, and you converted. You encountered the Holy Spirit and said, wow, this is really it. Jesus was the Messiah. If you were poor and part of the community of believers in early Acts, this must have felt incredible. You'd heard all of this New Testament talk about care for the weak and the poor, but hadn't seen any of this play out in your life. And now you are a part of this early church that was providing for all of your needs. But then the excitement of your new faith wore off. You witnessed all the things that went wrong in the early church, and maybe you started to have some doubts. Maybe the fighting among the early church leaders dampened your excitement. Maybe you heard about people being stoned to death for what they believed, and you thought to yourself, this faith is really compelling, but I'm not sure I'm ready to die for this. On top of this, your Jewish family and friends who hadn't converted have probably ostracized you at this point, and you might even be a social pariah in your own community. At this point, it would be natural to think, you know, it's been really nice to to be a part of this faith, but I would really love to just go back to the temple and have a meal with my family afterwards. This is the group of people Hebrews was written to. The whole book is written to encourage these Jewish Christians to trust that their conversion to Christianity was legitimate and to keep going. That's the narrative that we get in Hebrews 12. And so this tees us up for our passage in Hebrews today, which you're likely familiar with. The first three verses are one I imagine a lot of Christians know. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us strip off the things that slow us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let's run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Think of what he endured on the cross. Think of the hostility he endured then you won't grow weary and give up. I love this passage. It's a beautiful one that you're likely familiar with, but it's still worth dialing in on some of the main points. Think about them. 
Our faith is a marathon, not a sprint. We need to be prepared for the long haul. It's helpful to let go of the things that slow us down, especially our sin. How do we keep going when we're tired? As Jen shared last week, the answer is never to work harder. It's to look to Jesus, the champion and perfecter of our faith. Jesus offers a personal invitation to run with you on your journey. And when you're tired, think of what Christ did for you. When you want to give up, think of the pain he endured, the cross he was willing to carry for you. Any marathoner knows what a gift this is, to not have to go through those late miles all by yourself, but with Jesus running alongside you. In this, I hear the Lord saying, Matt, I don't need you to work harder. When you're tired, just look at me and remember what I endured for you. Remember that I am walking alongside you and I am with you. And let that be your strength. It's beautiful, isn't it? It can be easy for us to gloss over this passage because we've likely heard it so many times. But it really is beautiful, and I hope you let that message sink in this morning. Now, you also might know the last verse of this passage about taking up a new grip with your tired hands and strengthening your weak knees. What you might not know are the verses sandwiched in between these two passages. It's these pesky seven verses about discipline. Now, I'm curious, how many of you have these memorized the same way you do the first three? I'll read them again in case you've forgotten. This is from the NLT, so it's a little different than what we got in the beginning. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as children? Almost like the author knew we'd forget this part and focus on the first three. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. As you endure divine discipline, remember God is treating you as his own children. If God doesn't discipline you, it means you're not his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of our heavenly father? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always for our good so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. And I'll be honest, I don't have this one memorized. And I imagine that unless you came from a Southern Baptist context, you probably don't have it memorized either. This is the passage I'd really like for us to focus on this morning. Here's a few messages that I hear in these verses. In case you forgot, remember that discipline is an integral part of your spiritual formation. You are God's children, and because of this, he's going to discipline you. It actually wouldn't be loving if he didn't. Your parents did their best to discipline you, but they likely didn't nail it, and this is going to leave you feeling varying degrees of uncomfortable about discipline, especially when we talk about it in the context of our faith. Remember, God's discipline is always for our good. His goal with discipline is to make us more like him. And remember, discipline isn't going to be fun. In fact, it's going to be painful. But the result will be a peaceful harvest of right living. This is a little tougher message, isn't it? I find I'd rather focus on imagery of running a race or feeling God's pleasure as he runs alongside me than thinking about the discipline that's required to finish the race. What might God be saying to us about his discipline, especially at the beginning of Lent when so many of us think about taking on fasting, prayer, or almsgiving, 
the three hallmarks of Lenten practice that Jen walked us through last week. There are so many things, but I just want to dial in on a couple of them. The first is that God really, really loves us. I am really moved that before we get to the message on discipline, we get a reminder of what God did for us on the cross. The hostility and shame he was willing to face from sinful people in our place. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about discipline, it brings up lots of shame for me. As I was preparing for this sermon, I can still remember mistakes and dumb things I've done in my own life. And as we're talking about discipline, I'm curious, does this stir anything else up for you? Maybe it's not over the things you've done, but the poor ways you were disciplined by imperfect parents in your childhood. I believe God knows those feelings of shame that so many of us carry. And before he talks about what his discipline looks like, he reminds us that he took all of this shame for us. And when we face the discipline the Lord is inviting into our lives, it doesn't have to carry this weight anymore because he's already taken care of that for us. And please let that sink in. Again, God's discipline is not intended to trigger feelings of shame. It's actually designed for our good. Amen. Second, God's discipline is good for us because he loves us. I'm not going to pull a Tim and do a word study for you. Um, But there is such strong familial language in this passage. We're referred to as God's children twice. And there are several references to God being our father. When I hear this, I think about Jesus' embrace of children in the Gospels. There's no anger here. There's a loving father wanting what's best for the children that are around him. And I'll be honest, fathering is really new to me. Bailey is about 14 weeks pregnant. And most days, it doesn't feel real to me. But a few weeks ago, we had our first ultrasound. And when that baby popped up on the screen, our baby, I felt this unrelenting swell of emotion to reorient my life around caring for this child. It's a beautiful moment. And in that small instance, I feel like I started to understand God's love for me as a father in a new and profound way. We're told we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are God's masterpiece, that we are his adopted sons and daughters. God loves us and ultimately wants us to be like him. At times he sees, at all times, he sees the full vision of what our resurrected selves will be like, and he wants to help us get us there. That's the intention with discipline. It makes me think of the C.S. Lewis quote about how we're content to play in mud pools because we can't comprehend what a vacation at the sea would look like. I believe this is the heart of God when it comes to discipline. As our loving father, he has a much better vision of what our life could be and who we could be if we chose to trust him. And he loves us enough to bring discipline into our lives to help us get there. His motivation is that image of our resurrected selves with Christ in eternity and the chance for us to experience more of that while we're here on earth. And third, let's shoot straight here. We need to acknowledge that discipline isn't going to be easy. We're told directly that no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. We often don't get clear answers in scripture, but this is a pretty direct call. This is not going to be fun while it's happening. Anyone in this congregation who's been walking with Jesus through more challenging seasons of life understands this. When we are confronting our rough edges, when we're facing our own sin, change is hard and it doesn't come naturally to us. This is where I actually think the metaphor of running is so helpful. For me, there were a lot of hard, uncomfortable, painful runs on my way to enjoying it. 
it was anything enjoyable when I, anything but enjoyable when I started. But God's gentle reminder is keep going. Trust the reward that's on the other side, that peaceful harvest of right living. And what I love about the metaphor of a harvest here in the NLT is it implies that not only is discipline for our good, but the fruit of the discipline will actually be a benefit to all of those around us. Imagine the impact it could have on those you love to become more like Jesus by embracing the discipline he has for you. And finally, I I love the challenge at the end of this passage. Take up a new grip with your tired hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. God gets it. He knows we're going to get tired. The encouragement is not to despair, but to reset and keep going. He's reminding us that there's a more formidable version of ourselves on the other side, and it's worth it to hang in there with him and push towards that. So how does this hit us today? As I prayed over this passage the last few weeks, there were a few things that came to mind for me. The first is to acknowledge that where we as a church and individuals are like the Hebrews, that this passage is written to us. Trinity's not a baby church anymore. We've been at this for a few years. Many of us were moved by how our church came together. We were dreaming big about what it could look like to be a part of planting a church on the North Shore that lived up to what we thought the gospel called us to. I love our church. Bailey and I are in this, and we can't wait to be a part of this community for years to come. But I'll be honest, I have moments where I feel myself getting soft and comfortable returning to the comfort of our culture that we're surrounded with. The pressure of my job, the narrative around another election cycle, the draw of the comfortable life on the North Shore, these are all things that stir in my heart an attitude just like those Hebrew believers who are looking back at their old life and saying, that looks pretty good. Maybe I want that over what I'm living into now. The comfortable life all our neighbors who don't know Christ on the North Shore can look really, really enticing. Maybe not right now in February, but like as the spring inches closer, we'll get there. At the end of uh, Hebrews 11, the passage just before this, after writing about so many of the archetypes of the faith, the author of Hebrews says, God had something better in mind for us. And I believe that's true for us. I do believe God has something better for us at Trinity. And I believe the comfortable life on the North Shore could be the mud pie, and God wants to show us what vacation at the sea looks like if we continue to live into what our values look like. When we're tired, let's look at the great cloud of witnesses of our faith who are willing to endure immense hardship to experience Christ. Let's keep dreaming and pressing towards the vision of what God has for us, even when we're tired and don't want to press on. And in light of that, I'd I'd lovingly ask you, where do you need the Lord's discipline in your life right now? Do you have anything like my running story, an area where you're resisting that loving nudge from the Lord to work on something that could be good for you? I think Lent is a really great time to dig into this type of question. As I dig deeper into the Anglican tradition, I'm beginning to see more and more the beauty of the rhythms of the church calendar and how they support our spiritual growth. Three years in a row now, I've heard Tim communicating what the vision of Lent is all about. It goes something like this. Have any of you heard it? It's this period of self-reflection where we get to be honest with ourselves. We take a look at ourselves in self-reflection so we might appreciate what we bring to the cross. 
One way we do this is by taking on a fasting practice. Fasting, like Jen mentioned last week, is a healthy disruption of our day-to-day that forces self-reflection. It breaks up our habits and appetites and causes us to notice things about ourselves that we wouldn't otherwise admit to ourselves. You could say it's a great way to intentionally enter into the Lord's discipline and invite the peaceful harvest of right living that Hebrews was talking about. It's not about abusing ourselves or pleasing God with our fast, but moving more towards who God created us to be. I love Jen's line last week, right? We're trying to find ways to stir up good struggle that moves us more towards Christ. So what could this look like for you in this year's Lenten season? How could we use this opportunity to intentionally welcome the Lord's discipline and invite a new type of harvest into our own lives? And as you're thinking about what that discipline could look like, I want to close with some things running has taught me that have carried over as great spiritual metaphors for thinking about how God's discipline could shape our lives. Here are a few. You're never going to be the perfect runner. All you can really do is try to get better. One of the keys to being a great runner is to build in intentional time to rest. Run your own race at your own pace. God might be calling some of us to a marathon right now, but for others, he might just be looking for a 5K or walking around the block. There's no such thing as perfect running in conditions. Don't let that get in the way of starting now. Sometimes the key to running faster is actually to slow down. Every race is a little different. All you can do is take care of what's in front of you. So my prayer for us this Lent is that we'd be open to the Lord's discipline in our lives, no matter what shape it might take for you in this season of life. I'm praying that we welcome this discipline and embrace the pain so that we could grow more fully into who God knows we can be. I pray we take up a new grip with our tired hands and mark out a straight path so we can become strong and not fall. I pray that we learn to trust that God's discipline is always for our good and he's not using his discipline on us, but for us because he loves us. Amen. Let's take a minute. And um, Matt used the word imagination. He mentioned Bailey. Um, Who are the Baileys in our lives? Who is God using to speak into our lives? So let's just pray for a minute. Let's, Let's just pray. Lord, we pray that through your spirit, we can hear or see in our imaginations that step, that one step, that one thing that you want us to do. Let's start at the very beginning. Is it a walk around the block, metaphorically speaking? What is that? What does that even look like? Lord, thank you as we listen. And as we wait to see what you're saying to us or we recall what a Bailey in our life has said to us, just take a moment to listen. This can feel awkward for some people, but it will be over soon. So let's just take a minute to listen. Listen.